0: The following message is from the 2019 IBCD Training Institute, Identity Crisis. This is, uh, I'm George Scipione, and what we're looking at is you are a prophet, priest, and king. Uh, How this affects people as individuals, but also in terms of your counseling. Uh, Is that just an abstract theological construct, or is it really important? So let's pray, and we'll uh, we'll begin. Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you are our Father by adopting us through the Spirit who applies the work of Jesus Christ. Thank you, as we have been reminded, that we are chosen by you in eternity, and that, Lord God, we are united to Christ, and that, Lord, that makes all the difference in the world. We've had good teaching and uh, Lord, it's uh, late in the afternoon. Pray for your strength and that Lord, this would be profitable for all of us as we consider who we are and our identity as prophet, priests, and kings. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, I think you all have, There's, uh, if you don't have an outline, uh, grab one or give them away. They put me in this room because they said, well, I thought a lot of people were going to be interested in this topic, and this is the smallest seminar, so it's probably more comfortable in the other rooms or whatever. Let me read this because, uh, put this in the context of our counseling. You have your notes there. Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, that starts right in the first chapter the sixth part. says this, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men, Nevertheless, we acknowledge the inward illumination of the Spirit of God to be necessary for the saving understanding of such things as are revealed in the Word, and that there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God and government of the Church common to human actions and societies which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence according to the general rules of the word which are always to be observed. Now why do I read that? Uh, I read that because it summarizes really what the biblical counseling movement's about. Are the scriptures sufficient? Do we need anything beyond the scriptures? Well it's sufficient and everything that we need is either expressly set down or we can deduce it. Now there are some things which just by the way life is and the general rules of scripture you apply right so who are we to marry only in the Lord right if you're a believer you must marry another believer okay? and these days would be if you're a man it needs to be a woman if you're a woman it needs to be a man that's God's design now uh, how do we pick well were the general principles. Certainly we've got, for a woman, I did this for my wife and dropped somebody else and picked her and it was the right choice, you know, 47 years ago. Uh, well, How did I pick her? Well, there's Proverbs 31 describes that godly woman. There's uh, the text in Ephesians 5. How uh, is a wife supposed to respond to a husband and vice versa? And 1 Peter. So, Uh, You measure a woman, not just by her shape or her her, uh, character, but her godliness. So didn't tell me to marry her as opposed to somebody else. But applying those general principles, you know, there she is. So it's that. It doesn't tell me specifically who to marry, but it does tell me uh, the quality. And the scripture is sufficient for that. Now, again, uh, we can go, that's another talk for another time about guidance. Because there are a lot of people in the old days, I'm 73, the old days, hey, I got to know God's will. You know, I got to know who I'm supposed to marry. and It's, it's got to be God has to have a big beep, 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 has to be a flashing light. Or I just don't know. Or, or the old thing is, I'm not in the center of God's will. Well, the center of God's will is the Bible. Okay, and within that, you have freedom. OK, so uh, uh, but I want to say that I think the scriptures do give us some basic things to tell us about people. And it's important for you to know this as you see your notes. You need to know what man was created to be before you define his problems and develop ways to fix them. OK, for example, uh, when Jesus gets in arguments with the Pharisees about marriage, divorce and remarriage, where does he go? Goes to the scriptures, okay. So that's what we have to do is go back to the scriptures, and so we need to do that. So let me give you a, an incident in my life that has been uh, real helpful to me. Okay, um, just a quick story. I was raised in a, in a in a godly home, believing parents, believing sister. I thought I was a Christian. I really wasn't. I wasn't born again. Went through the cycle. Go to you know go to youth camp and clean up your act for two weeks and then go back to the same sin, you know, that whole kind of thing. Went forward to Billy Graham crusades, youth crusades. Asked Jesus to my heart multiple times. I get to seminary and I'm madder than a hornet because I heard what, you know, Deepak was saying, God chooses people. Ah, that's (laughs) un-American. God doesn't choose people. That's, That's horrible. You know, and then all of a sudden I started reading my Bible and I found out Ooh, I'm a sinner. (laughs) I always knew I was a sinner. But, you know, as as, uh, Jeremy Pierre was pointing out, it's not acts. It's the inner man, okay? So I get to seminary. Long story short, I get converted. A lot of that's Jay Adams, you know, and seeing biblical counseling and people change. So afterwards, I decide, okay, if I'm going to be working in the biblical counseling movement, which we didn't know was a movement at that point, you know, Jay had just started writing. I'm so old. That when I was at Westminster in Philadelphia, competent to counsel was a mimeograph. Anybody know what mimeograph? Okay, some all, You get high on that stuff, you know. <laughs> sniff, sniff the purple glue or whatever. Okay, competent to counsel was a, a mimeograph. It wasn't even published yet. Okay, and there, course, there was no course except sitting in and live council and talking about it over supper. That was the extent of the training. But I got converted. And I decided, look, if I'm going to work with Jay and work in the movement, I need to know psychology you know, firsthand. So I went back to Temple University in Philadelphia, where I had gotten a bachelor's degree in history, and I, I took a master's in psychology. Okay. And the pertinent thing for us is, uh, just picture this. First day of class in counseling psychology. Walk into class, and there's a woman professor. Later found out that I think she was uh, raised in a Christian home. I think her mom was a real believer, you know. Went to a Baptist church, was a real believer. But she wasn't. The teacher was not a, uh, a believer. First, first uh, day of class, she goes, you have an assignment for next week. 10-page paper. Who is man? What's wrong? And how do you fix it? That's the, you know, you write that paper. And everybody was a master's or a PhD student in that class, they're freaking out, <laughs> Hyperventilated. This is so hard. Who's man? What's wrong? How do you fix it? This, ah. The design of the course was really interesting. That was the paper. And then you would see, read all the books. You would see all the films, really ancient ones that are older than you, you all, uh, of. Fritz Perls and Carl Rogers and Ellis, you know, counseling the same woman in front of 500 people. You, you'd see all this stuff, and then at the end, you would write, Who's man? What's wrong? How do you fix them in the light of what you were in the class? Everyone's freaking out. Me? I'm not real smart, but, you know, just came from seminary, got converted. This is easy. Romans 1, 2, and 3. I mean, what's hard about this? Man's the image of God. What's wrong? Sin, and how do you fix it? Jesus. So I wrote the paper. God was kind; she gave me a decent grade. You know, at the end of the course, I walked up to her and she says, "Let me guess, I'm going to get Romans, one, two, and three again." I said, "Well, yeah." I said, "Could I contri- can critique these others from a Christian perspective?" This is way back early 70s, and you know, I got away with it. But I've never forgotten that, because really, when you come down to it, isn't that really what all counseling is, Christian or non-Christian, right? Who are you? What's wrong? How do we fix it? See, and that's what I want to do. This is a one little lesson embedded in a, a D-Min course that I teach, uh, who is man? You know? And the theme is, Roman, uh, is uh, Psalm 8. What is man, that you're mindful of him, you know, the son of man, etc. cetera. Let me read that because there you have God's description, I think, generally, at least in Old Testament terms, uh, and that lays that out for us. And I won't go into details, but I think it's, it's worth reading uh, Psalm 8. To the choir master, according to the uh, giddith, a psalm of David. O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babes and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. That's one translation. It could be in some of the older translation, a little lower than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him a dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Oh Jehovah, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So there's God's view and as David, you know, takes care of the sheep and he's out there and he's looking at the vast universe and goes, "Man, I'm kind of small." You know, what, what am I really in the light of this whole thing? And yet, hey, I am the image-bearer of God. Okay, literally, I think I don't think the angels have the image of God. Uh, only man does, and man's above the angels. Uh, yeah, I know angels are stronger, but so are elephants. You know, <laughs> it doesn't make elephants you know, uh, more worthwhile than us. So, so that's the background. The scriptures are sufficient, and the definition of the scripture is what? Well, we know, we've heard a lot about that, and generally is what? We're the image bearer of God, right? I said in the last seminar, Uh, two passages, I won't go into them, but, but you can look them up. Psalm 115. You know? The idols of the nation are what? They have eyes, but they can't see. Noses, they can't smell. Mouths, they can't speak. What? They that make them become like them. So here's the ironic position. Someone said the ironic reversal. Here's man, the top of creation, or should be. What's he or do, or she? We get a mental image. Oh, we're going to make this idol, right? And then Isaiah talks about this. You know, you, you scrape it out. You, you, you use a compass. You put it out. You carve out the wood, and then you worship it, right? That's a big duh for Isaiah. Remember, he goes, duh. Yeah, cut a tree down. Timber, it's down. And what do you do? Half of it you carve into an idol, half of it you cook your meal over, and you bow down to the tree and go, my father, you made me. So so the ironic thing is, where does the idol come from? A craftsman makes it up in his mind and then puts it out into what, almost in a godlike fashion, forms this idol. But since the idol is deaf, dumb, and blind, the person that makes the idol becomes like the idol. Put a New Testament, Matthew six. okay, where your treasure is, there will be your heart. So man is heart driven and the heart is driven by the God that you serve. Into which image you become. So it's either Jesus Christ, who's the only godly, normal person that ever lived. Sorry gang, you and I are a little wacky. <laughs> you know, God's the only, you know, God man is the only normal person to ever live. Adam and Eve were okay to begin with, but they messed it up royally. Okay? So so that's the dynamic. Now, okay, we're image bearer, we reflect and a lot of the biblical counseling movement is reflected on this. But can we make it even more specific? Okay? you become like the God you serve, okay? And so God is love and, and all that stuff. We can see the general principles of what? The fruit of the spirit, the beatitudes, etc. cetera. But what about function, okay? I, I think we can do that by inference from scripture, okay? So look at your outline, um, three on the introduction uh, or engaging the heart. You need to start with the threefold covenantal task Uh, of all of God's mediators or covenant heads. So what I'm saying is I think that what I want to do, and I think this is legitimate, is work backwards from what? The only perfect person is Jesus. And what roles did he fulfill when he was here? Okay? We're told, okay, I think these old theologians were right, he has what? He's a prophet, priest, and king. That kind of sums up what Jesus did, okay? And we'll look at that. So if that's accurate, I think it is, then we can infer back to what? Old Testament. What were the three main offices in Israel? Prophet, priest, and king, okay? So if that's a, a proper thing, then we can infer back to the patriarchal period, right? Who was the prophet, priest, and king? Abraham. Right? He was a prophet. Remember? Not a great one, but you know, hey, tell him you're my sister. Okay? Remember after that he, they were God was going to bang on this person? Why'd you do that? Well, she really is my half sister. I thought you might kill her for me. And by the way, he's a prophet. You better ask him to pray for you. Now if I was that pagan king, I'd be a little hacked. <laughs> this guy almost gets me killed for lying, and now I have to go to him. But he's a prophet, right? Is he a priest? Sure enough, because wherever Abraham went, he what? He put up altars. And was he a king? Yeah? Remember when Lot got ripped off and uh, from Sodom? Who went after him? Abraham did. So we see back those three offices in, in the Old Testament in terms of the Mosaic period are under the patriarchs, okay? It goes all the way back. You may disagree, but I think it's helpful thing. In the garden before the fall, Adam was a prophet, priest, and king, which gives us a little more specificity other than let's go serve God. So we'll look at this. And we could alliterate in English, you know, prophet, you're a witness, priest, you lead worship, and king, you work or you rule. Okay, so let's look at these in turn, okay? So we look at the perfect mediator man, Jesus Christ, the second Adam. We then infer back to the first man. Uh, the first Adam, and can then conclude the status of all men as God would have them to be in terms of salvation. Westminster Larger Catechism says this, number 42. Why was our mediator called Christ? Our mediator was called Christ because he was anointed with the Holy Ghost above measure. These references are proof texts, scripture proof texts that came from that version and so set apart and fully furnished with all authority and ability to execute the offices of prophet, priest, and king of his church in the estate both of his humiliation, birth to death and resurrection, and exaltation. Heidelberg Catechism, another catechism at that time, question thirty-one: why is he called Christ that is anointed? Answer, because he is ordained of God the Father and anointed with the Holy Ghost, A, to be our chief prophet and teacher, B, who was fully revealed to be uh, to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption, C, and to be our only high priest, D, who by one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and makes continual intercession for the Father with us. For us, excuse me, and also to be our eternal King who governs us by his word and spirit and who defends and preserves us in that salvation he has purchased for us. Next page, you have uh, question 32 of the larger catechism, but why, excuse me, of the Heidelberg? Why art thou called Christian? Because I am a member of Christ by faith and thus am partaker of his anointing so that I may confess his name and present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him. And also that with a free and good conscience, I may fight against sin and Satan in this life. And afterwards, I reign with him eternally over all creatures. Okay, So there's some reflecting on this, well, more theological jargon, but I think helpful. Okay. Uh, what did Christ do? Obviously we know he died on the cross after he fulfilled the law perfectly and he was raised. And what's he doing now? He's our prophet, priest, and king. He's still revealing to the preached word. He is still interceding for us in heaven, and he's ruling and reigning. And uh, the as Paul says to the pagans in you know Athens, hey, yeah. You know, there's a resurrection of the dead and it's proven because God raised the guy from the dead and he's going to come back. to ah, it's crazy. Okay? But but Paul's arguing the resurrection of Jesus proves that one day he's going to judge the world. That's God's stamp of approval on Christ. OK, so let's go through this uh, exposition of this uh, these concepts. OK, man is a prophet of God. The larger catechism speaking of Christ, of 40, number 43. How doth Christ execute the office of a prophet? Christ executeth the office of a prophet and is revealing to the church in all ages by his spirit and word in divers, many ways of administration, the whole will of God in all things concerning their edification and salvation. So that, that's the work of a prophet, is to teach and to reveal God's will Um you all do that, right? Fathers do that. to hus- you know, Husbands do that to wives. Uh, parents do that to children. Uh, people do it in the civil realm in terms of people learning at work or whatever. So the bottom line is uh, one of the functions of a human being is to teach and to tell people what God thinks about them and their life. That's part and parcel of being a human being. So people that don't do that are not fulfilling a function. They're going to be frustrated. Now, again, there's other people on the other side. They want to teach everybody everything, right? (laughs) They've arrogated to themselves. The only person in the world that can teach is me. And if you really want to listen, listen to me. That's an arrogant. It's a misappropriation of that function. But, you know, right? My dad was always always teaching referees. Even on television, they couldn't hear them. Now again, that's sinful, and I, I fall into that too. But the reality is what? You know, there's a time. Hey, I, I want to tell you that that's not right. I want to reflect what's right here. Okay, uh, People do that all the time. Uh, that can be perverted. It's one of the things I think that we have a problem with as Americans. We want to tell everybody in the world how to live and we can't take care of our own garbage. Okay. So, but the reality is that's part of a function. So see, see that in the context of a husband-wife relationship, parent-child, or in a church. People who don't have a function of helping to teach others, even on a small level, are not fulfilling part of their God-given function. Does that make sense? Okay, uh, people are meant to help other people to learn to build things, to make things, uh, how to do things appro- appropriately, okay? And uh, some are mechanical, how to tighten screws or you know, tighten a, the top of an engine. No, don't don't over, <sniffs> uh, uh, there you go. You, you, you broke it, and now we're gonna have to drill it. I mean, you're teaching all the time, and, and you're, you're saying, look, it's not gonna work. Half of my job as a pastor Is the painful job of going, I hate to say this, but y'all get married? (laughs) I can't see anything but trouble coming. Now, I've said to people, I hope you're right and I'm wrong. But man, the way I read the scripture and I look at you guys, I'm not going to participate. I've said that to people. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not going to participate in this wedding. Now, you're not gonna get disciplined in the church because you're marrying a Christian, but here's the deal. I don't think you guys are gonna really make it real well, and therefore, I'm not going to perform the ceremony. So, you know, that teaching function, uh, prophetic. I'm not a prophet, nor a son of a prophet. I can't see the future, but I wanna tell you something. (laughs) See this? Don't be unequally yoked together. They didn't put a donkey and an oxen, you know, and you know, together to plow the fields. Won't work, okay. Uh, even if you guys are both professing Christians, dude, you've memorized the whole book of Ephesians. This guy just became a Christian two weeks ago. Not going to work, okay. I say? So, so the teaching, okay. I think, I mean, that was wasn't that Adam's big big sin. Besides you know, eating the fruit. He listened to his wife, right? What was he supposed to be doing? That's exactly right. He was supposed to be protecting her as a king, but was teaching her. Please help me with this. It was the garden Narnia or something. What are you talking to a snake for? That's one of the first things I want to ask my. God. What in the world were you talking to a snake? You know? He should have protected. You listen to your wife. Now again, some guys, when I say you're not supposed to listen to your wife. That's where I, no, no. The point is, you listen to your wife. He should have stepped in and said, no way, babe. No, I'm sorry, over my dead body. What do you mean? This guy's bad-mouthing God. So, and he didn't teach, okay, well enough and to protect her at that point. So, okay, so. Again, as a revelation receiver, we receive the truth from God. And then we what? We give it to one another. That's what we do when we read the scriptures. I keep saying that a little church I'm going to uh, preaching at, liberal denomination, but they're letting me preach. And I'm going, you know, we're Protestants. Uh, and Protestants get to read the Bible. And we get to have responsive reading right in the middle of the service. You realize how privileged this is? You have the Bible in your own language, and we can read it back and forth to each other. So we have that, okay? We're revelation receivers, and then we have to reflect that to others, okay? Uh, That goes along with this whole thing of identity, you know? I am made in the image of God. I need to tell you what God thinks about you as far as I know from the scripture, again, in a humble way. So as a revelation receiver, he is to preach or prophesy to the creation. He declares God's will to the to the sentient thinking world and all other creatures. He develops God's word in the world. This will is to be carried out, God's will, and it's to to its uh, purpose and final conclusion, to use theological terms, teleological, eschological. So. That's the whole purpose. I got to keep speaking to people and, and, and saying we're going the direction. I think he did this pre-fall. Right. God talks to him. Look, I mean, I know minimally when God said the day you eat of that tree, you're going to die. Adam goes, what's death? At least God said you don't want to go there. I think he probably gave him a lot more information. But God's, you know, filling in and giving him really a conceptual framework within to live. Post fall. Same thing. Now that's why we have to have the Bible. You know, we had to have verbal revelation. Adam and Eve weren't in the garden just running around thinking, oh, what can I do? What can I do? God says, you'll figure it out on your own. No, he didn't. okay they knew good and evil. Not experientially, but they knew that. Why? Because God said, this is what's good. This is what's bad. The day you do the bad, you die. And so that's man has to have revelation from God as man. And now as sinners, we doubly need it. We doubly need the revelation of God. So pre-fall, post-fall, and I think we'll be teaching each other in heaven. Nothing new, but we'll be constantly pointing each other to the glory of God. So we see this. The, uh, Adam did this after the fall. We see the patriarchs doing this. Uh, certainly we saw Enoch doing that, remember? Was it the sixth or seventh from, uh, from Adam? Preaching, saying, you all ungodly people, all the ungodly things you're doing, saying an ungodliness against God, you're going to pay for it. And God takes him out, Noah preaches the whole generation. And uh, what was he preaching? I heard a little girl in Christian school who wasn't the smartest girl in the, in the class, but said to her teacher, what was he preaching? Get on the ark. <laughs> Get on the ark. The ark is the only place of safety. So you see that preaching. And I think uh, perfectly we're going to be uh, teaching one another in heaven uh, more and more, okay? So that's that's the prophetic. Also, we have priestly function, okay? Jesus obviously is interceding for us now. We see that all through the scriptures because of sin. But even before, right, even before sin, didn't he worship? That's what they did. Now, it wasn't formal. Remember, it says in in. in That'd be a nice paper for a doctoral or something. you know, What does it mean when it says, the man began to call on the name of the Lord? Well, I think it's basically Cain got to speak directly to God, even though he was a rebel. God was speaking directly to people. And then we start to have priests who what? Pray. So we see we see Abraham do that. We see Isaac do that. They all put up altars when God came to them and they worship God. So. Uh, 44, how doth Christ execute the office of a priest? Christ executeth the office of a priest in his once offering himself a sacrifice without spot to God to be reconciliation for the sins of his people and in making continual intercession for them. So, as we're hearing in the plenaries, we need Jesus. And counseling is not only teaching people what God wants, it's what? pointing them to Christ, to the cross, to the finished work of Jesus Christ and God's mercy and grace uh, to them. And so uh, worship, there was worship before the fall, right? No need of redemption in the sense of blood, but what? They worshiped, you know, I don't think they just sort of chummed up with God. I think think when, I think it was Christ in the garden, really, you know, it was a pre-incarnate Christ, the angel of the Lord, that's the best guess. When Christ walked with them in the garden, you know, they were worshiping. They were worshiping. Every day they had family worship. So uh, there's, that, there's that priestly. Now we have to intercede. Okay. And so that's really important for a husband to realize you've got to intercede for your wife. I've had to say, guys, look, this is not prayer. Oh, Lord, thou knowest that my wife is a nut and a hard case. I would appreciate if you would crack her. I mean, that's, that's not praying for your wife, that's praying against her. Okay? Uh, parents ought to be praying for their kids, not just disciplining them. So there's all of this worship. And when people don't worship, they become ingrown. They, they don't have the power to change themselves. They, they have to come to the foot of the cross, as we've been hearing on a daily basis. And so, you know, you need to teach. Your counselees, uh, you need not only one time forgiveness, you need forgiveness every day. You need Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father making intercession. Okay? Uh, uh, Question 55, interestingly, I've come to really love that in the larger catechism. How does Christ make intercession? Christ makes intercession by appearing continually in our nature before the Father, pleading the merits of his obedience and sacrifice while on Earth that it be applied to all believers, procuring for them a clean conscience in spite of daily failings and acceptance of their person and services with access with boldness to the throne of grace. I mean, we've got to teach people that in husband-wife relationship, parent-child relationship, If people are not functioning as a priest, uh, it's another thing. Uh, I think we all should probably be concerned what's happening in the United States in terms of as the culture falls apart. And uh, many of us may end up in jail because we can't affirm uh, LGBTQ plus uh, standards. They're out of the closet. They want us in the closet. They want to lock us into the closet and throw the key away. But we need to love these people and to pray for them. We need to take a priestly function. Okay? And this you can see this. Not only do you teach in biblical counseling, you have to watch Prayer. I don't know if I've ever seen one of those. I think we probably should have a seminar on prayer and one of the biblical counseling because there's your priestly function, praying for, interceding for the people. Okay? Um I don't know about you. I tend to get more angry at sin than mourn over it. You know, I really need to to be grieved and I really need to intercede for people, especially those that despitefully use you. So, uh, again, there is in the counseling, uh, the teaching that Christ, the perfect man, intercedes on the basis of his merit. We don't have that. It's his merit we plead. But we go to before the father please father don't give them what they deserve so i teach the guy instead of praying against your wife you know what your prayer ought to be lord look lord if there's any punishment for her sin put it on me please put it on me because i'm responsible to protect her i know she's being stubborn but please go go lightly on her you know that's 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 the intercessory attitude that people need to have in counseling. Now, again, if they're not born again, they probably don't believe they're a sinner and and need things. But all the stuff that's being said is helpful there. So we need to uh, uh, do that. Okay. This is important. Very quickly, 148. The angels worship God, right? They're sinless. Uh, Psalm 148. This should be something we teach in counseling to people to not only read the Bible and pray, but to worship God and love him with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's part of our counseling as well as telling them the truth. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from in heavens. Praise Him in heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded, they were created. He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree, it shall not pass away. Praise Jehovah from the earth, for you great sea creatures and all deep. Fire and hail, snow and mists, stormy wind, fulfilling his word, mountains and hills, fruit trees, cedars, beasts, livestock, creeping things, flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes, rulers of the earth, young men, maidens, uh, together old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted, his majesty above the earth and heaven is praised. And raised up a horn for his people, praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise Jehovah. So worship leader, praising God, teaching people to praise him in their marriage, praising it with their children. Okay, this is part of a function of a person. Are you worshiping? If you're not worshiping, you're shrinking in your reflection of God. So we need to teach people. Uh, to pray. We need to teach people to intercede for people. It's kind of interesting, you know, here are things that are almost personified, all these snow and hail and everything. You praise God. Well, they can't do it with words, but we can. So, uh, men, <clears throat> Psalm 150, praise the Lord, praise God in His sanctuary, praise Him in His mighty heavens, praise Him for His mighty deeds, praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Um Teach your counselees to take the character of God. I wonder how often we do that. Take the attributes of God. God is not only loving, he's also holy. By the way, that's part of the problem of American Christianity. I think, I think American Christian Church is really playing Mr. Potato Head. You all know that game, Mr. Potato Head, right? And this is the way it goes. Well, here's God. Okay, here's my God, the God. Ooh, ooh, I like that one, love. Mercy, oh. oh, holiness, wrath. I had a guy who I think just became a Christian uh, recently over a couple of year period witnessing to him through counseling, had a drinking problem that's been taken care of. But he's actually reading the Bible now, didn't know, Roman Catholic background. I said, read, read this passage. He started reading the footnotes. I said, excuse me, those are Catholic footnotes. Mine are Protestant, but the that's not the Bible. This stuff above the line, that's the Bible, Okay. So I got him to read the Bible, right? What's he say? This is amazing. He's reading the Old Testament. There's a lot of dead people there. (laughs) Boy, God really gets angry. (laughs) You know, God's an angry God, and there's a lot of dead people. You know, when you read through that, you know, Uh, say, yeah, okay, yeah, that's that's the truth. That's what's happened. Okay. Uh, So what do we do? We want to selectively take the attributes that make us feel comfortable. Sorry, guys. You don't get to to grab the attributes. You have to take them all. So, again, we need to teach people in terms of how to worship. So, um, again, Old Testament, they're worshiping the altars. uh, Again, uh, I want men every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and intercession, 1 Timothy 2. Okay? So, man worship before the fall, after the fall. And I'll tell you one thing. What's the greatest thing about being a New Testament Christian? We get Jesus. We're not looking forward. Well, we're looking forward to the second coming. But we don't have to guess, right? Remember Peter and 1 Peter? Okay, the prophets, angels, they're all looking into this. Who's going who's to be the Messiah? When's he coming? What's it going to be like? Okay, We have that. Okay, And we can share that with people. Okay, So we need to teach people to witness and think biblically. That goes along with the identity. The second thing, identity, is what? We're worshiping beings. We've got to worship. As uh, Bob Dylan, ring a bell for anybody? Still ringing Bob Dylan? Got to serve somebody. <clears throat> maybe the devil or maybe the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. Sorry my voice isn't as bad as his, but you, you get the impression, OK? Serve, OK? Maybe the devil or maybe the Lord. Finally, the third area, OK? And I, I would like to see somebody really work this stuff out in detail. You know, what does this mean, okay? Uh, how does Christ execute the office of a king? Christ executed the office of a king in calling out of the world of people to himself and giving them officers, laws, censures, by which he visibly governs them, and bestowing saving grace on his elect, rewarding their obedience and correcting them for their sins, preserving and supporting them under all their temptations and sufferings, restraining and overcoming all their enemies, and powerfully ordering all things for his own glory and their good, and also in taking vengeance on the rest who know not God and obey not the gospel. So uh, we see that pretty clearly in, in, you know, Genesis. Adam works, he's working the ground, he names the animals, okay? Uh, whatever he calls them, that's the name. Don't know what language it is, my Old Testament guy at uh, Sem says it's got to be Hebrew, okay? Probably was a Semitic language, uh, you know, whether it was that. But the bottom line is he's doing that. He's to take care of the garden. He can participate in it, you know, and benefit from it, but he's got to care for it. And, And so this is obviously in some cases when you have people that are not working or really want to have a free handout and you have to teach them to work. But I hope you can see these things. Witness, worship, and work kind of frame human life. And if you don't have those things, and probably in good balance, then you're really going to uh, really have problems. So you have people that get tied up, whether obsessive compulsive or whatever, they get all tied up in this thing, right? No work. They're, They're over here trying to figure out their life or whatever, and the work's not getting done, and very little worship's being done. Okay, you know, there's other people that I've, uh, you know, said to them, "Look, you, you got to start working." There's only so many Christian songs that you can listen to. <laughs> you know, it's good that you're listening to, to gospel music, and it's good that that's a comfort. But you know, you need to work, you know, or you need to do this. So hopefully, it, it begins to fall into place some of this. Okay, so. Man worked before the fall. Obviously, after the fall, it's cursed, right? By the sweat of your brow, there's going to be thorns and thistles. It's going to be tough, etc. And uh, I think we're going to work in heaven. I just don't think all we're going to do is sit around and worship. I think that's going to be the main thing that we do. But the new heavens and new earth, it's, it's just not our embodied, you know, middle state, you know, for 2 Corinthians 5. To be absent from the body is present with the Lord. Friends, I'm not looking forward just to that. I'm looking forward to the resurrection when this thing gets corrected. Okay? Uh, That's the ultimate, the new heavens and new earth. So we need to teach people in in the time. So exhortation for life there. This impacts counseling real people in time and space history. Adam to Moses, three offices in the heads of families. Moses to Christ, three offices are separate, ordained men. Three offices are reunited in Christ. Uh, There are ordained and unordained applications. Let me just say an aside here. People have asked this question for years. I've been around since the beginning, since the late 60s. I don't understand. You know, J. Adams says everyone's competent to counsel, right? But then he says something like, well, the pastor is God's professional. Well, Which is it? I think it's both that. This prophet, priest, and king, the Reformation picked up. It's not just the priest. We're all priests before the Lord. It's not them that just to get the Bible in Latin. We get it in our own language and we can read this and study it. We're spoiled, we, uh, you, we don't realize how wonderful it is to have the Bible in our own language, okay? And then this work, okay? So, so these are things that we need to teach our counselees, not just as abstract principles, but you know, hey, are you worshiping? Are you witnessing are you working and some people get out of balance because you know they'll like the one you know, that's monasticism hey you know going to go into the monastery and just you know think about God and not be in the world okay so I think that might help you if have people say well what is it everyone's competent counsel right but not everybody's an ordained officer so again just to pick on someone but uh, my wife went to a Women's Retreat, Southern California, won't go beyond that to tell you who. Okay. She was scheduled, she was told to speak five times, and then she got there and go, Oh, there's a sixth one. What's that? It's the worship service. We want you to preach. And my wife kinda goes, Ding, 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 ding. I am not a minister of the gospel. Okay. Plus they were going to have communion. Now I don't know if it was Gatorade and Nacho chips, you know, or or I'm serious, I mean you know, some people kind of they get good. It's not just women, but oh, we get in this uh, this retreat here, and then we're just going to no, that's that's for the ordained officers. But every one of you can go to somebody else and say, "I love you," but guess what? You're headed for trouble. <laughs> you keep going to, going to go over the cliff. You're you're on the Niagara River, and, and it's going fast. You can't see how fast it's going. I think it's like 17 miles. It's real quick. Uh, a guy in our movement, uh, Kevin Bacchus, a good friend, he's a pastor of the Bible Presbyterian Church on Grand Island, New York, which is the last island before whoo, over the falls. And he says, you can't tell how many times people get in that current whoo, and they're gone and dead over the falls. Why? Because they don't see it. Okay. So we, we need to warn people. We need to pray for them. We need to teach them. So. Well, here's just some things on there for you later to think about. Because uh, normally this is in a min course. We've got about 15 minutes and we can talk about this. But I, I say, look, I, I want to I ask you these questions. Uh, out, of, out of this lesson, uh, here's some questions to think about. What happens without a job description? Have any of you ever worked for somebody that didn't give you a clear job description? It was just me. That was one miserable summer. <laughs> It was miserable because I could not please the guy I was working for. He was cook, I was assistant cook. Now, I knew, knew nothing, okay? You can understand why I get mad. I said, hey, I cleaned out the walk in. Why? That that old parsley was all wilted, so I threw it away. You dummy, you put it in ice water and it revives it. You, know, you just ruined my meal, okay? So I was pretty dumb, but the bottom line, everything I did blew up in my face. I couldn't please him. I didn't have a job description. Two, what happens without specificity in job description? Uh, I don't know if you have a poor leadership style like me. I'll do this, I've done that with my wife, I've learned. Hey, hon, you take care of this because you're good at it. And everything's fine until she makes a mistake. And then I get on her, right? And she goes, Well, wait a minute, you told me to do this job. You didn't give me any specifics and now, no, now you're taking me to task because, see? That's poor leadership. What happens when you have a job description, but it's not specific enough to really help you what to do? OK? Uh, the joke that, that year I worked in the camp, was a Christian camp, was, oh, Scipione, it's the cook's day off. Yeah, we know what we're having. French toast for breakfast, beans and hot dogs for lunch, and meatloaf for dinner. Maybe it's different. We'll have meatloaf for breakfast. And French toast that was the, That was the only things that I would cook, okay? Uh, couldn't trust me. What happens if, if man does not fulfill his prophetic task? You've probably seen that. Been in congregations or seen families where there's no instruction. And, and people don't know what they're doing, okay? What happens if man does not fulfill his priestly task? You know, if he's not worshiping, if he's not repenting. Uh, What happens if man does not fulfill his kingly task? These are important things to ask yourself and start thinking. You know, we all know that sin is the basic problem and we need salvation and God to help us grow out of those things. But more specificity, okay? Look, you're not being a good leader. And I could add a sixth one that's not there. What happens when leaders in the home, the church, or the state fail in these capacities? My, my, my response is tyranny, right? Why do people go for Hitler? Inflation was so bad, things were bad. At least he made the train run one time. You hear that all the time. Why not? Venezuela is a mess. I mean, There are literally thousands, if not now, millions of people that have died on the border of Venezuela. Why? Tyranny. Tyranny. It's uh, real big to me. My friend who came up, uh, Luis Vega, he is an expat from from uh, Cuba. When he was four, they had to flee Cuba because of Castro. Castro took over his house. But uh, his family saw that, and they just said, hey, 35 years ago, I said, this is what's going to happen to Venezuela because of Chavez. It's inevitable. See, when you have people. that that really don't teach the truth, they really don't intercede and sacrifice for the people, and they don't really rule, they rule for themselves, you get what happens. You get tyranny. Stalin, Hitler, Mao Zedong, the killing fields in Cambodia, what happens? Because you can't live with chaos. So these are not just abstract things. Well, okay, I'll end there and let you ask perhaps Applic- applicatory questions. What difference does it make or how to apply this? Yes? Are, are you familiar with how that grid's been used for like leadership in churches where you have like a plurality of pastors and one's more kingly, one's more priestly, one's have you heard about that? Uh, okay, been? so the question, I'm repeating for the yeah. tape because uh, that there are people, let's say have multiplicity of pastors and one's taking a, a more kingly and, and uh you know no i've not heard of that so oh, okay. it's very interesting uh, i i don't know of anyone that's sort of applying this in general let alone specifically like that so say it's kind of with some of the Acts 29 guys that they were okay. you know looking at leadership for that. okay it so says Acts 29 uh, i have a friend sometimes worship with them there i'll go ask him and say hey uh, is this something that uh, you guys kick around i have not heard him speak of that but I really haven't talked to the regional director for, for uh, for Acts 29, you know, in the Pittsburgh area. Sir, are you? Okay, I didn't know because you know, au- auction. You know, you might be bidding or whatever. Okay, uh, anyone else got questions? Okay. So, uh, I think the most important thing is is to push this with the people that you train for counseling and, and have this, okay? Because for most of us in the biblical counseling movement for 50 years, we get so oriented toward the problem. The problem, of course, the solution is Christ in, in, in reading and praying. You know, we don't think in the broader, uh, broader categories. And uh, one of the other uh, ones that I gave today was your calling, okay? Everyone has a calling from God besides a call to sonship we also have a call to what specific vocation, and that's not all being pastors or doctors or whatever. And uh, I helped one young man. I said, think it through. Whatever you're good at. He said, I went to seminary and not sure that that's what I want to do. And but I'm a, I love being a mechanical engineer. I said, that's great. They said, you know, you could go to some, you know, uh, pot, you know, uh, country that doesn't have the benefit of a lot of good engineers and go do that. You know, Jim Jim Newheiser was a pastor at an international church in Saudi Arabia. Always teased him, I said, you know, if you, if you did more clandestine like Presbyterians with your baptism, and you didn't do it in the, in the sea, you know, by immersion, you might not have got caught by the police and kicked out of the country. But, you know, all. Th- but he was pastoring there, right? And, and uh, you know, doing those things. And uh, it does, these have implications. But I, I've always been intrigued why were the old theologians so intrigued with this prophet, priest, and king? Because I think, again, it was highlighted in the Old Testament form, but fulfilled in Christ. And uh, we need to have husbands that will be prophet, priests, and kings. We, we need people to understand these in business. You know, uh, I mentioned this in the other seminar. Uh, uh, do you all remember Heinz, Heinz ketchup? Most of you know that, right? Well, Heinz came out of Pittsburgh, still there. Brazilians own the company now. But but Heinz was a Christian. You should hear his last will and testament. I, and John, something like Heinz, you know, because of the Lord Jesus Christ. This guy was amazing. As a Christian, he went back and paid every penny when he went bankrupt before he formed Heinz. He had another company, went belly up, and then went back and paid everybody penny for penny. And he did things for his workers that were way ahead of the time you know, gyms and other things to take care of them. He was concerned about their families and the like. And, you know, that prophet, priest, and king came out with him what? Telling them about the Lord, but also praying for them and blessing them and giving them a good work environment, all because of what? He saw himself in the role as someone that needed to bless his workers, not just get, you know, profit out of them. And how would that change the whole workforce today? Uh, on the other side, I have people tell me all the time, I can't find anybody that's sober, that will come on time, and will work, not just want to get a paycheck, OK? they even go all the way down to McDonald's or whatever, uh, all the way up the carpet ladder. People want to make you know, uh, millions of dollars for what? Ripping the company off and running it into the ground. Okay, just one other one and let you go. Um, I have a friend who loves Packards. Most of you don't know what a Packard is. It's an old car and one of the best cars in America, lots of patents and everything. Incredible. It's run by a Christian. During World War II, he said, I will only take 5% or whatever it was profit off of the engines that I am building to put in the airplanes to go fight in Europe. I'm not going to you know, make money off the war. Incredible guy. Company was then sold. The guy who became the president was a pagan and didn't care about the company. Five years, he ran it into the ground and went bankrupt. So this whole leadership is really important on the individual, uh, family, and even congregational level to do that. Well, let me pray, and, and I'll stick around for any questions you might have. Uh, so, Father in heaven, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, who was our prophet, priest, and king. He, he tells us your will. He intercedes when we fail. He rules over us until we actually begin to grow in grace. Lord, help us to, to see this as a paradigm for where we hope people will go in leadership, whether it's in the home, in the church, or in the society in general. Lord, uh, we desperately need a revival in this country. We need you. Uh, or, Lord, it will go on the scrap heap of history uh, because of our great sin. So please, O oh Lord God, have mercy upon us and help us to counsel people and live in such a way that the world will see. Your kingdom is the wonderful kingdom, the only one that will last. For we pray in your son's name. Amen. Copyright 2019 IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at ibcd.org.